So fall break was halftime. Yesterday was kickoff, and you're uh, you're in the middle of the opening drive of the second half. Uh, how's it going so far? What what do you need to go differently? Um, what do you need out of the second half of this semester that that maybe didn't happen in the first half? Um, hope you're off to a good start there already. Well, so there's the first half, second half of the semester, and. And tonight I want to bring to you the idea that there's a first half and a second half to the gospel. And I want to just lay this question out to you for starters. What are you hoping for, longing for, desiring for in the second half of the gospel? In your walk, maybe you haven't experienced this far in your experience with the Lord, in your walk with the Lord. What do you, what do you long for? What do you ache for? in this second half of the gospel. Um, be aware of something that stirs up, bubbles up in your heart that you feel yourself longing for, desiring for, um, because that surely could be significant. This uh, first half, second half of the gospel thing I'm talking about, it's really a misnomer. There really is not a first half of the gospel and a second half of the gospel. That, that's as ridiculous as saying there's half of Jesus and then there's another half of Jesus. It doesn't work like that. Jesus is one, and everything that Jesus came and did, it was one. It was a, a thing, and the gospel is a thing. But this whole first half, second half um, idea of the gospel is really about the way we tend to experience and practice the reality of the gospel. You see, uh, it's meant to be one seamless experience, but it's our broken nature that would just so much rather be rescued and forgiven than to be challenged and transformed. The reason that there are two parts to the gospel is that we split it. We divide it because our broken nature would rather be, be rescued and forgiven and draw a line there than to be challenged and transformed in, in the fullness of the gospel. Jesus' idea is that we'd put together the first half and the second half into one seamless whole gospel that's all about being forgiven and rescued all the way to the point of profound love for God and profound love for other people. And here's a five-minute video that's worth five minutes of your life on that topic. Meet a guy named J.D. Walt from an organization called Seedbed. In 2011, George Barna conducted a research project that he claims is one of the most challenging projects he ever undertook. Over the period of six years, his organization made telephone contacts with 15,000 people. And they were asking them questions about their spiritual life, their Christian faith formation and development. They were trying to ascertain where are people in North America in their walk with God, so to speak. The results were astonishing. Barna found from his research that people tend to find themselves at one or another of what he calls the 10 transformational stops. Number one, unaware of sin. Number two, indifferent to sin. Number three, worried about sin. Number four, forgiven from sin. Number five, forgiven and active in the church, in the activities of the church. Number six, wholly discontent. 
Number seven, broken by God. Number eight, surrender and submission. Number nine, profound love for God. And number 10, profound love for people. It gets really interesting when you see where the population of Americans fall across the spectrum. 1%, 16%, It's not surprising to see most of the actions centering around numbers three through five. You're a sinner, you need a savior. Pray this prayer and you're forgiven. Don't get involved in the church. What's fascinating though, is the way the spectrum begins to break down after the first half. From number six, holy discontent, through number 10, profound love of God and people, nine and 10 only 11% of the population fall within that range. On the other side, one through five, we see 89% of the American population according to this research. It seems clear that we're going halfway, but not the other half. You see, John Wesley said the people uh, called Methodists were raised up for this second half. In fact, he used the language, he said that this gospel, this truth of sanctification, of holiness, is the grand depositum which God has seemingly raised up the Methodist people to proclaim. And from this research, it looks as though we have not proclaimed it very well. So Seedbed earnestly desires to see the bars get raised on the right-hand side of the chart. On justification by grace through faith, we stand squarely with the magisterial reformers of the church. But we think today what is most needed is a revolution of sanctification, a renaissance of scriptural holiness. In the 18th century, Count Zinzendorf, who was a founder of a Moravian community at Hernhut, great influence on the Wesleyan movement, maybe said it best when he said, many people will follow the Lord halfway, but not the other half. He said they will willingly give up possessions and property and wealth, but it touches them too deeply to disown themselves. You see, that's what the whole gospel is about. It's about profound love for God and profound love for people. Seabed exists to sow that whole gospel into the whole world. Will you join us?
that's all we got for you today. All right, thanks for your attention there. Now to, uh, now to some Bible. Um, the epistle to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, um, is a, uh, it's a case study on first half, second half of the gospel. It's an, it's an oversimplified but accurate outline of the book of Ephesians to say that chapters 1 through 3 are first half of the gospel, chapters 4 through 6 are second half of the gospel. Um, so let's read a little bit in, uh, from Ephesians 2. There's a, there's a section here where you get, a, you get a, a bottom line of the first half of the gospel and then you get a sneak peek into the second half right here in chapter 2. Verse 8, Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. First half of the gospel. And then to verse 10, for a peek into the second half. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. First half, second half, salvation by grace through faith. And then something to put that into action in, in our living. But then Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to spend our time here in, in, uh, in study tonight. Uh, because it, it is the beginning of the second half of the book of Ephesians. It is the beginning of this laying out of the second half of the gospel. And there are five verses scattered across this chapter that that are, are um, like support beams for everything else that it has to say. Five, five verses that we'll uh, have something more to say about in a minute. But let's, uh, let's do a little reading. Um, first, it's, um, it's Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for which for you have been called by God. And then to verse 12, Ephesians 4, 12. I'll start with 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And then to 4, 15. That instead, instead of being immature, instead of being tossed and blown around, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. Then to 23 and 24. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then the last, which actually is the first two verses in chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. What we see in these five passages that are scattered throughout chapter 4 are support beams for all that, that this has to say about what we're calling the second half of the gospel. So uh, we'll walk through these five in a little bit and, uh, and fill in some flesh uh, on those on those bones, but um, but first let's take a, a look at the first half of the gospel. Um, the first half of the gospel it's about being saved from from our dead end life. 
being saved by God's generosity in Christ through faith. That is the first half of the gospel. That is the most core um, basis of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says it like this, just in simple terms, God saved you by His grace when you believed. Now, pro tip, first half first. First half first. Have you ever opened up like instructions to something and you're really tempted to jump past the first instructions to jump to the really fun part of putting the thing together or getting it going? And uh, maybe that works for you, but often it doesn't, and it doesn't here in terms of the gospel. First half first. Trying to do the second half without the first half is frustrating when it's supposed to be so fulfilling. Trying to do the first half without the second half, it is, it's religion instead of relationship. It's, it's legalism instead of love. Pro tip, first half first. So the focus of tonight is, uh, the rest of tonight is on this second half of the gospel, but can we just slow down and park it for just a minute here on the first half of the gospel? Because if you're somebody who maybe you've grown up around Christian people, or maybe you've grown up visiting church some, or even attending church really regularly to the point that you even know a lot, but maybe if for you it's not ever been like real, or like really your own, then I just want to just encourage you that if tonight's the night when you're ready to make it your own, that you'd make it your own. And you make it your own by believing and, and trusting and accepting, by believing that the life that Jesus lived and the death that he died and then the resurrection that he rose, that it's not just his, but that's yours, your life, your death, your resurrection. You believe that and, and then you trust that. Not just to be true for somebody else, but you trust it to be true for you. And there's this turning point where you tell God you're sorry for the way things have been and you want His fullness and newness to be in your life. That's the simple steps that you take when you're ready to embrace the first half of the gospel. And I just wanted to spend a few minutes right there before we move on to the second half, for the sake of somebody who needs to be clear about the first half. Because it is standing on the first half of the gospel that the whole second half of the gospel, the rest of the deal, awaits. Um, and as you read the end of Ephesians 3, verse 20, it's like a, a race car shifting gears. It's like gearing up to, to, to speed up. When it says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The first three chapters have been about the, 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 the wonder of salvation. But then it gears up even more because there's more gospel coming. It gears up for the second half of the gospel. And that's where we are now. So, from Ephesians 4, these five verses that I read a minute ago, each of those um, call, helps call us to the second half of the gospel. So let's talk through some of those tonight. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 1. Uh, it, uh, it calls us to lead a life. Sorry about the typo on your sheet there. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Lead a life worthy of your calling. The word calling, um, 
okay, not only a preacher is called, not only like a doctor or some specialized vocation is called, but you are called if you are in Christ. It says it right there at the end of verse 1. For you have been called by God if you're in Christ. Uh, being called is kind of like this. It's like you, you volunteer for something, but then that something you volunteer for then has a claim on you. You ever joined an organization like that? Totally voluntary organization. You didn't have to do it, but you did it. You joined it, and then suddenly that organization had a claim on you. Well, that's kind of like what it's like to be called by God, and that's the call to live a life worthy of your calling. And then there's that word worthy, which is kind of tricky, but, uh, so let's talk about it. Worthy here does not mean worthy in a deserving kind of way. Live a life that deserves the calling or that deserves the salvation that you've been given. That is not what it means. Fact is, you're already so worthy. You're already so worth it that Jesus died for you and you were in the middle of all your mess. That's how worthy and worth it you already are. So it's not about being deserving. Worthy here means consistent or fitting. It's a call to live a life that's consistent or that befits the, call, the calling of God to you. To live consistently with God's call in your life. That's, that's what worthy means. And then Paul brings up this whole idea about being a prisoner. He says that, I mean, he, he was a prisoner and he was writing this letter from a prison cell. But he brings that up as if to say that leading a life worthy of God's calling is somehow, somehow like being a prisoner who surrenders and submits. That there is surrender at the heart of living this life that's worthy of the call. You see, the second half of the gospel calls us to surrender to God in such an extreme way that you could be compared to a prisoner in a jail cell. So, to lead a life worthy of your calling is to surrender yourself, to live your life consistently with the way that God calls on you. So, the second half of the time is is as much about grace as is the first half of the gospel. Sometimes we make the mistake of, 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 of understanding that we're saved by grace through faith. I couldn't do that on my own. But then somehow we, we, we tell God, okay, I got it from here. I'll take over from this point on. But the second half of the gospel is as much about the grace of God as is the first. Lead a life worthy of your calling. The second big statement that comes out of Ephesians 4 has to do with being equipped. Equipped to do God's work. And to build up the church. In 4.12, it's talking about spiritual gifts. And it says that, that, um, that Jesus gives gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And this isn't even a complete list. There are also lists in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and in Romans 12. That, uh, there are about 20 spiritual gifts that are listed in the, um, in the New Testament. Hey, and if, if spiritual gifts is a new concept to use that, you, that you've never really explored, um, I've got a way for you to explore what might be your spiritual gifts. Um, I put on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, Hugh Griffith, um, and let's be friends while you're, while you're there, um, uh, a, a handy spiritual gifts assessment um, that you can go, and it's got information on spiritual gifts, and it's got actually a, an assessment, an inventory that you can take 
to help you identify what your spiritual gifts are. So uh, love to encourage you to do that. And, and if it's something you want to talk about, um, let me know because I'd be glad to hear what you think about it. Um, but the point of spiritual gifts here in the second half of the gospel is that, that we have kingdom work to do and we have a kingdom to build that we're called to, to work alongside the Spirit. And Jesus gives to us spiritual gifts for the, for the work that He calls us to do. So, lead a life worthy of your calling. Know that you're equipped and get to work. And then third, from verse 15, growing, growing in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. Um, and that's right there out of verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in, in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. You see, the second half of the gospel is really less of a destination, and it's more of a journey in growth. It's more of a journey in growth, and growth's goals is to become steady and stable because you're grounded in truth and love, speaking the truth in love. The goal of this growth is to be steady and stable because you're grounded in truth and love. Two errors that Christian people tend to make are... Truth without love and love without truth, neither is a good option. You've seen people stand on solid biblical ground, but they're, they're mean as a junkyard dog. And they're just mean about it and mad about it and angry about the biblical truth they profess. And likewise, you've seen people stand on love, but to neglect the truth that we have that we know in Scripture. We're, we're not free to choose truth or love, but it's... Truth and love, that's the maturity that we're called to, that we're grown to as we grow to be more and more like Christ. In this second half of the gospel, it's a matter of growing in grace and growing to be more and more like Christ. The fourth one, verses 23 and 24. This one's huge. Don't, uh, don't let these words just kind of wash through your brain without the import of them really settling in. Uh, verse 23 says, the Spirit renews us. Verse 24 calls us to put on our new nature. So if the Spirit renews us, then we're called to put on our new nature because we're created to be like God. Now, a little history lesson. Back to Genesis 1, we were created to be like God. But then Genesis 3 happened and this whole like God thing got wrecked right there. What's going on here when the Spirit renews us? What's going on here in the second half of the gospel is a renewal, a restoration of what God did first in Genesis 1 that He's redoing, renewing here in the second half of the gospel. This is huge. The second half of the gospel begins to restore the image of God to us that was distorted in the fall, the Spirit renews us so we can put on our new nature. We're recreated to be like God. And the words righteous and holy are used for you. Try those words on. Wear them proudly by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then, okay, then, then in this whole section following verse 24, um, there, there seems to be um, a manual of acceptable and unacceptable behaviors in the second half of the gospel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a laundry list of things after we're told to put on, uh, to put on the new nature. 
Um, stop telling lies. Don't let anger control you. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Um, and then another batch of uh, don'ts and do's in verse 31. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and, and on and on. It seems like a, a manual of acceptable and unacceptable behaviors for the second half of the gospel, but please don't read it that way. It's not meant to be a do list and a don't do list, a can do and a can't do list. The do's and the don'ts here are not how you're supposed to act in order to live out the second half of the gospel. This list of do's and don'ts are how we act because the second half of the gospel has gotten a hold of us. It's not a, an attack list, do this and then you'll live out the second half of the gospel. But it's a, because the second half of the gospel is so real and true to you, this then is how your life looks. And then the last one, the second half of the gospel means that we're called to imitate God as His dear children and to live a life of love. One way that I wanted to be, be like my father when I was a, a little boy was that I wanted to shave real bad. And I remember standing in the bathroom uh, beside my dad, and, and he would always say, I mean, this happened multiple times, he would always say, aren't you glad you don't have to shave? And I was thinking, no, no, I'm not. I really want to shave. <laughs> uh, and now I'm with him. Uh, I'd take him up on it now. But what is it about your God that you long to imitate? What do you see in your heavenly Father that you want to be the way you are? I mean, the Bible tells us a lot of those things, so if you can find those in Scripture and, and then imitate those. But what's in your heart? What's in your gut? What's, what's bubbling up out of you that just longs for something about you to be like God? Pay attention to that. That's the Holy Spirit in you reaching out for you to God. Imitate God as dearly loved children and live love, it says, like Jesus did. So, here's the second half of the gospel. What does all this look like on a college student? What, what does the second half of the gospel look like on you? ask you some questions. Could it look like a particular calling? The second half of the gospel. Is there something stirring in you that you think God might have for you to do? The second half of the gospel for you could be some particular calling. Could the second half of the gospel be for you an exploration of your spiritual gifts and then, a, a, and then engaging your life in the use of those spiritual gifts. You might even have to change your major. But how cool if you could change your major to get a job so they'll pay you to exercise your spiritual gift. Or is there some way in which you need to, in which you know you need to grow to be like Christ? Is there something that you see in you that 
that's inconsistent with walking worthy of the calling? Or is there some old nature in you that needs to be surrendered so you can put on your new nature? Some old nature in you that needs to be surrendered, laid down, taken off, so that you can put on your new nature. And in this question, what in you is not imitating God? What about you doesn't look like your heavenly Father? So that's a good place to start too. Two keys to all of this. Two keys to experiencing the second half of the gospel are grace and surrender. Grace because it's all a gift. The second half of the gospel is not something you work your way up to. It's not something you earn. It's gift of God to you. It's, it's the rest of what He intended to give you when you first came to faith in Jesus. Grace. And then the second word is surrender. The second key. Because surrender is this laying down of myself and opening up of myself. And do you know what happens when you open yourself up before God? Grace flows in. It's kind of like opening up the door on a cool night. You don't have to ask the cool air to... Actually, the heat's going out. I understand how that works. <laughs> but, it feels like, but it feels like the cold air's coming in. Um, God is generous with His grace and loves to take advantage of a surrendered, open heart and door for grace to flow in. So, here we are. Half time's over. Second half has begun. I wish you well with your academic endeavors in the second half. Hope for, pray for a strong finish for you. And then about that second half of the gospel, um, I just want to invite you to open up, surrender, and receive the grace that God desires to give you to do the rest of what He got started when you first trusted Him, whether that was tonight <laughs> or a long time ago. Friends, grace to you as you surrender before the Lord. Let's pray. Now, God, for your great riches to us in Jesus, we praise you and thank you. We, uh, we don't want anything to limit the grace that we would receive from you. So, um, Holy Spirit, would you help us know how to open up and say yes and surrender to welcome in your grace? And Holy Spirit, would you send to every failure, to every fear, to every frustration, to every ache and every longing, would you satisfy us deeply? by your grace. It's all about you and all in the name of Jesus, we pray.